HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and a supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still mystery for many people, and I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Sebastian Beckwith, who is the owner of In Pursuit of Tea, which supplies high-quality teas from Asia. And his clients include finest New York City restaurants such as Daniel, Eleven Madison Park, and Gramercy Tavern. And he has lectured about tea at Columbia University with integrative health expert Dr. Andrew Rail and led educational seminars on tea at the International Culinary Center and the American Museum of History, uh, American Museum of Natural History. Hello, Sebastian. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Akiko. It's great to be here. So, uh, before we talk about tea, um, I'd like to spend a few minutes about sushi and gloves. So, two weeks ago, uh, the popular sushi restaurant, Sushi Dojo in East Village, was shut down temporarily because the New York City Health Department found that the sushi chefs were not wearing gloves to make sushi. And have you heard of this? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've just heard a little bit about it, but right. tell me more. Okay. So um, so if you go to a sushi restaurant in Japan and see the sushi chefs wearing gloves, uh, plastic gloves, uh, you'd think he had lost his mind. But in New York, uh, wearing gloves at sushi restaurants has been a little gray area. And some chefs always wear them, but some don't because sushi making is a more sensory and delicate task, and it's not... Uh, the same as the surgeons wearing gloves. And sushi chefs are taught to be meticulously clean, and that's the first thing they learn from the sushi master. So um, I asked three of the best sushi chefs in New York, all Japanese, and what they think about the incident. And they all asked to be anonymous, of course, so I cannot say who they are. And Chef A said, uh, rules are rules, so we comply. 
but there is no scientific evidence that sushi made with bare hands leads to food poisoning or wearing gloves can prevent food poisoning. I'm glad Chef David at Sushi Dojo raised his voice on this matter. And、uh, Chef B,、uh, who actually sent me a three page long email about this issue because he was so kind of upset. And he said that、uh, in the Western culture, people think of killing bacteria with industrial chemicals, but in Japan, such chefs think of preventing bacteria from growing. So they clean and wash fish, surface, and equipment with water, vinegar, or alcohol constantly and meticulously. And there is a perfect system of sanitation. In the long history of sushi making in Japan, the case of food poisoning is very rare. Even in the rare cases, it's usually from delivery, of,、uh, delivery or takeout or banquet style of serving, not from the cooking process. I think <laughs> if you wash your hands and wash the fish, that should be good. <laughs> I don't understand why you have to have the rubber gloves, but I guess I don't work for the health department.、Mm. All right.、Um, and then, well, actually, this chef、uh, raised、uh, seven points because he was so concerned about the risk of wearing gloves. By itself. And number one, gloves can be nests of bacteria within the, the first 10 minutes of wearing them. And sweat and body temperature are ideal for bad bacteria to grow in gloves. And number two, gloves get damaged often by knife, utensils, or other busy kitchen tasks. So the bacteria in gloves can easily leak out. That's kind of scary.、Um, and number three, when you change your gloves, you may leak out the bacteria inside the used gloves. Unless you are very careful. And number four, chefs have to change gloves between different kinds of fish due to their distinctive flavors. For instance, mackerel and fluke cannot be touched with the same gloves for sushi chefs. So it's impractical to change gloves so often during the service. And number five, regular use of gloves for years can damage chefs' hands, and the irritated skin is ideal for bacteria to grow on. So there's a lot of risk in wearing gloves, I think. Right. And also, he says、um, uh, gloves disable chef's tactile sensor to detect unusual temperature, texture, and moisture in fish. So, working with gloves resembles going to a fish market wearing sunglasses or walking on a dark street in a high crime area with headphones on listening to music. And here's a third chef. Um, Chef C said education is necessary for the health department to understand that there is a very defective system of sanitation in the Japanese traditional sushi culture. And in fact, I heard that、uh, the California made an exception to the similar mandatory rules for sushi chefs last year, and so they don't have to wear gloves because I think uh, uh, about 2,000 people in the industry collected、uh, signatures and、uh, made a petition. And So it's a very touchy thing. I, I don't know. What do you think? It seems interesting that they could get signatures on a petition and then it would reverse the ordinance from the health department.、Mm. They've been doing this for thousands of years. Right. Why not just keep everything clean and、mm. do it in the traditional way? Right. But again. <laughs> yeah, it's very touchy. Yeah. So. I think sushi chefs need to prove to the health department and、uh, scientifically, maybe the data. And I think health department has to be a little more open minded. Open to it, right. Right. Okay. So, listeners, if you have any comments, please email us at、uh, info at heritageradionetwork.org. And I'd like to hear from you. So, now let's talk about tea.
Okay. <laughs> so tea is becoming very popular in the U.S. And for instance, the retail sale, sales of tea have soared from just under $2 billion in 1990 to nearly $11 billion in 2014, according to the Tea Association of the USA. And also high end restaurants in New York, such as 11 Madison Park, Terra, Blanca, and Bethany, have extensive tea programs. And I believe we are one of the reasons why tea became so popular in New York. So, first, how did you get into the tea business? Ah, that's a long story. I'll keep it short. Um, <laughs> I started、uh, work as an adventure travel guide in a little country called Bhutan、mm. in the Himalayas. How? <laughs> And so I used to spend、um, a fair amount of time, time over there leading groups, trekking.、Mm. And I would usually go visit friends in Sikkim and Darjeeling,、mm. which is relatively close by, a day of travel、mm. on bumpy roads. And so then started to spend time in the tea gardens of Darjeeling、mm. and just started to go around and visit different ones and learn more about the tea.、Mm. Would bring it back for my friends. And eventually a friend and I decided, let's、mm. give it a try. Let's start a little business.、Wow. And so now it's 16 years later and touch wood. Wow, well, congratulations. Thank you. Hey, that's a big commitment, a long time.、Hi. But, you know, the tea was available in the US too, but what was the difference that you found in the, the local Asian tea?、Um, I think tea certainly has always been avail- available in, in various ways in the US、uh, or in, in the West, but the knowledge of it、uh, is not so strong or not so deep.、Mm-hmm. So when I was spending time in Darjeeling, say, Uh, with different growers and、uh, producers, it was great to be able to see you know, that here is a plant, it's producing something that we're uh, enjoying uh, drinking later. And whereas in the West, it's just thought of as a commodity.、Mm. It's sort of some dried leaves in a tea bag, no one ever connects it to origin,、mm. and that's just sort of the way it is. And also, consistency is a huge part of、mm. uh, anything uh, commodified, but tea certainly. And so all of these teas are blended for consistency so that they would always taste the same. Interesting. Wow. It's like a whiskey. Exactly. But then you might want a single malt,、mm. and sometimes you might want to have something blended for consistency.、Mm. But there was, it was difficult to find the single malts、right. of the tea world. Whereas if you're in Darjeeling or if you're at Origin, each producer is making their own interpretation、mm. of what tea is. Wow. So, well, I didn't imagine actually it's the whiskey, maybe wine too, like so personal and、uh, maybe it's similar to wine because it's more straight from、uh, vineyards. Right. Right. Okay. So,、um, you, per- uh, you founded、uh, In Pursuit of Tea. So, what, you know, what kind of company is it, basically? What kind of company is、yeah. it? It's a、uh, company that.、Uh, Well, I would say supplies、uh, mm-hmm. loose leaf tea.、Uh, import and supply. Yeah.、Right. <clears throat> so we import directly from producers.、Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a, like a one man show, like a tiny little producer, and maybe we only buy a few pounds a year from them.、Wow. And in other cases, it's a large、uh, estate in Darjeeling, several hundred acres, and we buy you know, much more,、mm-hmm. several lots, production lots. Right. And. Uh, so, we specialize in bringing these over、uh, to here, mainly to New York, but the US in general.、Mm. And then we do a lot of education. 
because people need to know something about it um, mm. to uh, adequately inform their customers, etc. Mm-hmm. Right. So you need a kind of teach sommelier kind of education. Yeah, I try to shy away from the sommelier <laughs> thing, but um, yes, education is what's needed, mm. and uh, it doesn't need to be complicated. Tea doesn't need to be complicated. It's mm. it's just a simple leaf. Uh, transformed by a variety of processes, drying, mm. oxidation, uh, rolling, things like that, right. um, in a certain terroir or a certain origin, and, mm. and it makes something. And there's no need to get too crazy about uh, how fancy or rare or all of these things that mm. some of these teas are. It's more about, you know, let's enjoy the flavor, taste it. Do you mm. like the you know how it tastes right so it's it's interesting that you know like i mentioned earlier many many major you know fine dining restaurants are really interested in teak programs now so why do you think it's happening um i think the the times are are changing to the point that you can't have the box of tea bags at the end of the meal Mm. with lukewarm water you know it just (laughs) it doesn't go anymore people you know people are realizing that this is the most important time when Mm. people are forming their opinions of the restaurant and they're going to leave and you can't sort of leave them on that note right so in one sort of in one side it's people trying to stay up to date with what some other people are doing luckily Mm. for us so if some people are doing a great job Mm. people talk about it and it convinces other people to make the leap. Mm. Well, that makes sense because uh, the coffee used to be just so-so, but then now Stumptown Coffee, everybody's talking about which roasters. and Right, right. So, There's so many. Right. So kind of third wave tea movement happening. Right. But as I said, it's about the 103rd wave of tea. Right. So, <laughs> so many. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's bringing it in for so long. Right. Yeah. We should respect more to tea. <laughs> but, right. but as you're saying that, um, we were speaking before the show, and I was saying we still get these calls uh, the day before a restaurant opens, and so mm. you know they ask, "Can we do the tea program quickly?" So it's still not uh, a priority on everyone's mind. So mm. we're just trying to be the you know the uh, needle to constantly right. make them think about right. it. Instead of a wine list, they get ready like a month before, but the tea right. is due tomorrow. Right. Mm. right. Okay. I hope it's going to change soon. Right. And uh, so you only sell loose leaf teas. Well, for 15 years, we've only sold loose leaf tea. Mm-hmm. And then I've finally been convinced uh, to put some of our teas in a bag. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the same teas that we do loose. Mm-hmm. And now I've found an alternative in Japan, a plant-based material, mm-hmm. instead of the plastic bags that the industry calls silken. Mm-hmm. Um, so this... Uh, bag we're doing for a few high volume places and, and restaurants mm. or and hotels. Right. Well you know the I thought the tea bags tend to be little lower quality, more industrial. But what you're doing is uh it's not low quality, high quality. Same same tea. Right. The easier to use now. And usually the Tea bags are uh, CTC or very small mm. particles in the industry called dust or fannings. And so we're using the same leaf. And we can also think of it as a pre-portioning for mm. staff in a busy uh, okay. work environment. So. Right. So basically, your tea bag or the uh, loose leaf teas, that has more flavor per weight. 
Yeah, um, more flavor. It's interesting. Most tea bags will be made up of very fine, small particles mm. so that they release the flavor oh. into the cup very quickly. Mm. Loose leaf teas, there's less surface area, mm. and so the flavor usually will come out slower. Mm. But it will be there for subsequent infusions. You can drink the first steep. Then when you're finished, re-steep it. There'll still be flavor left. Mm. Whereas some of the tea bags, once you put the water in, everything is gone immediately. Right. So so you grad- gradation of flavors, you can just taste right. a long time. And, and that's also uh, something that we promote, and many of our teas are enjoyed gung-fu style, mm. which is an, an Asian, southern China sort of method of enjoying tea. And that's using a lot of leaf and very short infusions so you have many many steeps of tea from the same leaf mm. and you enjoy the flavor as it changes ah. over the five or ten or fifteen steeps right. from the same leaf ah, interesting right. so you need a big uh, nice tea cup uh, teapot for that well actually you use a very small teapot tiny oh. mm. the same size as your cup Mm-hmm. And then you have a lot of control. You can brew it very quickly. Uh-huh. You can adjust the temperature exactly as you want it. Mm, wow. So it's almost like a per cup. You have a... Right, right, uh, exactly. Change the per whole cup. taste and flavor. Instead of the big sort of Western-style teapot mm. that you can also have good tea out of, but you don't have as many touch points. You can't enjoy the aroma of the lid or of the pitcher or see the leaf unfurl, mm. etc. Well, hopefully you carry that part. I'm going to buy one of those. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, how many different kinds of tea do you carry? Oh, boy, this is a tough one. Uh, <laughs> we're always sort of shifting in and out and uh, running out of one, getting other one. So basically our uh, sort of philosophy here is we have some teas throughout the year mm-hmm. that we're not going to run out of. So we will buy them uh, based on our last year's sales these are teas that restaurants would use, mm-hmm. and Assam, Darjeeling, things like this, uh, a green, uh, things from every category. There'll be a few that will buy enough to have all year long. Mm-hmm. So then the fun of it, of course, is buying the interesting ones that we will run out of. Mm-hmm. So we might buy 20 pounds of a tea, mm-hmm. or as I said before, I just came back from Sri Lanka with two pounds of a tea. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are usually higher value, and we would sell usually online mm. uh, to our web customers, but occasionally mm. uh, some of the restaurants will, will buy a pound. Mm-hmm. And then when they run out, they know that that's it. Nice. There's no more left. Precious. And, oh, that's the sort of in pursuit of tea. Like, oh, it's, yeah. You never have it <laughs> you know, when you want it. Right, well named. Right. Um, so what is the, what kind of uh, the two pounds tea you know, that you took from Sri Lanka? I'm just curious what kind of... Uh, the tea that I brought from Sri Lanka was an oolong cultivar from mm-hmm. Taiwan that was brought to Sri Lanka in oh, about 10 or 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they've propagated it and now have a, a quarter acre, so not very much. Right. So they're only making a very small amount. And they don't have a lot of knowledge or skill in making oolong, mm. but they're trying. And it was very interesting to taste the cultivar from Taiwan mm. at a similar elevation in Sri Lanka. Mm. And they want some assistance in helping them to develop mm. uh, a better product. Right. So fantastic. 
So, you know, not perfect, but very interesting and mm -hmm. uh, enjoyable. Right. And next year I'll, I'll go back and see if we can uh, make it a little better. Mm. It's been fun. You can just taste side by side and the pairings. And, exactly. Right. Wow, great. And uh, so you are focusing on Asia? Yeah. I mean, now tea is grown in about 80 countries, I think, around the world. Wow. So probably most of America's tea comes up from Argentina. Mm. Very low-grade uh, tea bag tea by the container loads. Mm -hmm. um, and plus many other countries as well. And I prefer to go to places that, they're, that have had a long culture mm. of producing and making tea. Right. So I can go to Japan or China or Taiwan and meet someone whose grandfather made the tea and his father made it in a certain way. Mm. Um, and it's very interesting. These people know what they're talking about. Mm. Whereas it's almost like an art. It, it is an art. Mm. I mean, these are they're skilled uh, artisans um, mm. and reacting to a living plant, mm. plus the humidity, the temperature, all of these uh, variables right. trying to make you know a, a, a product that's mm. superior. Right. And uh, in pursuit of tea, how do you find those small producers? Uh, it's sort of every different way. Sometimes it'll be some random, oh, I have a friend from there, and you get hooked up that way. Mm. Sometimes it'll be, uh, if you visit a region, usually a tea-producing region, they'll all make the same style of tea mm. in that region. But then maybe you drive around and you go visit another farm and you just mm. happen to talk to someone. So right. it's sort of happenstance and... Now, sometimes on the internet or uh, different ways, but uh, mm. it's it, fun. Yes, yeah, it's it sounds great. like uh, you're continuing your life as a trekker or the tour guy. Right, <laughs> got to keep moving. <laughs> right, and uh, well, because this is Japanese, I have to mention a little bit more about Japanese food, uh, Japanese tea. And <clears throat> what is the difference between Japanese tea and uh, other teas that, such as uh, Chinese tea? Um. I guess that, um, at its most basic, well, we talk about uh, or we define any tea uh, with process mm. as well as a cultivar. So you, you can, uh, uh, we can just talk about green tea for a second. You pick this leaf and then if you just let it sit there, it would start to oxidize and it would eventually turn black. Mm. And that would be how you'd make black tea. But when I'm making make green tea, we would have to heat the plant quickly to mm -hmm. stop that oxidation okay. to keep the leaf green mm -hmm. so uh, the one main difference is in China they usually pan fire the leaf uh -huh. and that's basically pick that leaf throw it in a wok for a few minutes mm -hmm. move it around um, there's moisture in the leaf mm -hmm. and then that's going to inactivate the enzyme okay. then the leaf would stay green and then they would roll it mm -hmm. so in Japan they do the same thing but they usually use steam okay and, of course, in both countries, there are other examples mm -hmm. um, where they pan fire or steam. Right. Well, actually, I heard that uh, Japanese tend to be rich in umami because it has more taste by steaming and because uh, the water retained and then there's more umami in it. And But Chinese tea, people tend to enjoy the roastiness. Yeah, I mean, you could sort of imagine just the process of throwing leaf into a, a wok it's going to be maybe a little roastier, maybe a little nuttier mm. in character generally right. than if you steamed it. And the steaming it, you might get more of a marine mm. aspect to it. It might be a higher 
green note, more freshly cut grass, mm. something like that. That's more typical of the Japanese teas. Mm. Um, certainly within the different teas, there are gradients between sencha and bancha and gyokuro and, mm. and these different types that we can talk about. Um, then there would be different cultivars. So in China, they're going to use a slightly different plant. Mm. Similar, but a slightly different plant than in Japan. Okay, great. So um, let's take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll talk about different kinds of、uh, Japanese tea. So please stay with us. Great. This is Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. And you know, I remember my very first show, December 2009. Ooh, it was a cold winter. And my first guest was William Grimes from the New York Times. Now, the one specific I had to tell him was wear a hat, gloves, and a warm coat because our studio had no heat. We had no heat in the winter, we had no air conditioning in the summertime. It was rough going, but we were a startup and we had a good show, regardless of the fact that we could see our breath. So, today we still have hurdles to climb over, and the only way we can get there is with your help. So, if you would please consider being a member and press that little beating heart button in the upper right hand corner to donate, it's going to help us have heat. And electricity and air conditioning, and really good sound with really great guests. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Sebastian Beckwith, who is the owner of the premium tea supplier in Pursuit of Tea. So,、um, let's talk about Japanese tea. And、uh, do you know the history, how it started in Japan?、Uh, I know a little bit.、Uh, I should start with the history of tea、mm. cursorily,、okay. um, if that's a word. The tea plant originated in southern China,、mm. in a place that's now known as Yunnan in China.、Um, and so, this is around Burma and even over into northern India, into Assam. So, this plant then. Uh, was carried throughout Asia,、mm. um, often with monks and,、right. um, and clergy,、uh, Buddhist monks.、Mm. And it was that way that、uh, it finally made its way to Japan.、Mm. And there was a monk called Eizai, and in 1191,、mm. <laughs> or somewhere around then,、right. um, he brought some seedlings over、uh, because he'd been、uh, spending some time at monasteries in、mm. China. Okay. So he had、uh, tasted it there and understood a little bit about it. So, with、uh, his help,、uh, they started growing it in Kyushu in the southern、mm. um, island of、uh, Japan. And then also they planted some in Kyoto and in Uji,、mm. which is a little more central in Japan. Right. And also, that time, I think、uh, emperors resided there. Right, so. right. So, you wanted to have some to appease the emperor. Right. 
And I think actually in the 1200s, they, someone then processed some and like, uh, made the emperor not have, or maybe one of the shoguns uh, get over a hangover or something. Mm -hmm. So then they took notice and was like, oh, we like this medicinal plant. <laughs> <laughs> it's a healthy beverage. Right. And so uh, from there, uh, they started propagating and, mm. and, and started the tradition. Right. Now, the time that uh, the tea came over, uh, it's important to remember that tea was uh, enjoyed in China as a powdered beverage. They would powder it mm. before drinking it. And it was mm -hmm. not in a loose-leaf form that we'd use today. Mm. And so the Japanese basically uh, focused on this way of consuming it and built that into the Chanoyu, uh, uh, the uh, tea, tea ceremony, ceremony uh, water for tea. And so uh, it was the powdered tea that they really uh, uh. built up to a high, I mean, to an incredible right. um, way of drinking tea that mm. like, surpassed what they were doing in China uh, in its intention. And I should just say the tea ceremony is really more about Zen Buddhism. Mm. It's about being a host about being a guest, mm -hmm. and it's not just all about tea. Right, hospitality. Right. Right, okay. And, uh, yeah, one of the, I think there's a lot of fun fact about tea that I found is that in 12th century, tea was enjoyed widely among samurais, and there was a game called tocha, uh, which means uh, you guest a brand of tea, and just like uh, wine tasting. So. Exactly, and there, <laughs> were, there were also competitions for latte art. Oh, or, <laughs> Matcha powdered tea, so oh, really? like latcha, latte art, which is funny. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Well, maybe again, let's post that. If you have pictures, I will post uh, it. I don't know. No, <clears throat> no pictures. <laughs> no pictures from them. No drawings. Right. Well, we just guess. All right. And so then later on, they started to use the sencha tea to make a, a leaf tea mm. and uh, get out of just the powdered tea, which they, uh. of course, still use, which is now known as matcha. Mm. Okay. So, all right. And then nowadays, if we go to the Japanese, you know, the, in Tokyo, for instance, uh, convenience stores, you can have amazing, like, tens of beautifully bottled Japanese tea. Ready so, to drink tea. That's right? the, the biggest uh, way to consume it these days. Right. Okay. Um, so maybe you can explain, you know, how many different kinds of Japanese tea exist and what the differences are? Um, there are some little outliers but generally speaking sencha is mm -hmm. one of the most famous types of tea mm -hmm. uh, and with all of these teas that we're talking about there are many grades uh, depending on where it's from the aroma the flavor the leaf appearance the method of manufacture um, so just the name doesn't give you too much okay so sencha is a leafy green tea Bancha is a lower grade, a little rougher uh, green tea. Mm. Uh, hojicha is a roasted uh, bancha. Mm. Uh, so they roast it for a few mm. minutes and uh, very aromatic. Mm. There's genmaicha, which uh, usually is a bancha and they add popped rice mm -hmm. and roasted rice to it. Mm -hmm. And that came out of, uh, during wartime, oh. they were... The, the tea was scarce. They were running out. Oh. So they added some rice to it, and people liked it, and they kept doing it. Right. Some more flavor. And yeah, I mean, I think it's it's great. If you have a good one, it's like comfort food. It's delicious. Right. It's you know, grainy. Mm. Um, 
So we talked about the sencha. Right. And actually, by the way, uh, the hojicha, that's my, my, my father's favorite because he, he's, uh, he has a little weak stomach and mm-hmm. he can't take too much caffeine. So hojicha, somehow it's roasting, kind of eliminates more caffeine. Yeah, and it's also, there's a lot of, um, there are some twigs and stems in there as well. Mm. And so those are not going to have as much. And so even the kukicha, mm. which is a, a twig tea, mm-hmm. would have less uh, caffeine than oh, all, okay. all of the other ones. Right. So. Um, and then to go the other direction, mm. where we probably have more caffeine, is the gyokuro. Mm. And that is, uh, along with matcha, mm. a... Tea that is grown shaded for the last three weeks mm. of its life um, okay. before harvesting. So it's uh, more soft, and then the good vitamins, everything alive. All of the good stuff. Right. <laughs> the um, antioxidants, the caffeine, mm. catechins, everything, and the chlorophyll is focused in the uh, in the period when it's covered. Mm. It, they block out about seventy percent of the sun's UV. Mm-hmm. And um, then when they're processing it and after they make it into tea, mm. with the gyokuro, you have an incredible umami, right. uh, richness, savory, MSG, brothy, mm. uh, amazing flavor. Wow, sounds like uh, this should be the first thing in the morning thing, replacing coffee even. Exactly. Well, now with the current matcha craze, I think a lot of people are using uh, matcha in place of coffee. Mm. So matcha, apart from uh, these teas that we talked about, it's powdered and then it's a useful tea ceremony. But now it's available in... Uh, Everywhere. <laughs> Starbucks too. Um, yes. As I was saying before, we try to talk about and define teas as a process mm. and a cultivar often. Uh, people think of matcha as just powdered green tea. Mm. And of course, there's no definition, standard definition from country to country. Mm. So you could certainly ground up some green tea leaves grown any in any country mm. from three years ago and sell it as oh. powdered green tea. Oh, so wow. some people maybe would call that matcha. Mm. It certainly is not. Right, because uh, I think that like gyokuro, you have to use the screen to create right. the shade. Exactly. And you would be using uh, Japanese cultivars, mm. yabukita or uh, different uh, cultivars. And that's very important. Mm. And I think in Japan as well, they're having this big problem where people are making powdered sencha. Mm. So they're grinding sencha right. into a powdered green tea. Mm. And there's no distinction. It's wow. obviously very hard to tell the difference to someone who's not used to drinking it all the time. Mm. But a good matcha comes in many different grades mm. so you can get the lowest grades that are known as ingredient grades mm. or these are things that you would use in ice cream or other foods or pastries mm-hmm. uh, up to a beverage that you whisk with a, mm. a bamboo whisk a chasen, and uh, enjoy that as a just to drink it mm. um, either alone or for tea ceremony in some cases right. well it sounds like uh, you know like any um, relevant products like pecorino to I mean cheese to other beverages and so are they, are they working on getting a regional dis- designation I don't know uh, probably they are but I've seen the problems with that mm. uh, in China with some of the uh, domain control mm. uh, things get uh, moved in from other places blended together mm. you usually find that 
the very good quality things don't need the domain control because people recognize good quality and in anything, a wine, a whiskey, a tea, will buy it because they know the producer. It's the lower grade of the things in these regions where that's a benefit. Right. Okay. So um, I see you have some uh, leaves in the right. studio. Right. So I was just, uh, these are two different, uh, oh. um, we're talking about sencha, mm-hmm. and sencha can be grown in many different prefectures. We mm-hmm. buy most of our sencha from Uji and Shizuoka. Okay. Oh, by the way, I heard uh, the leaves of sencha, the high they're massaged in four steps. To kind of to for to get the flavor out. Mm. Yeah, there are there are still a few people that will make handmade and mm. hand rolled sencha, mm. but it's very expensive and not many people will do it. So as a result, the mechanization of the Japan producers is amazing. Mm. The machines that they've developed, from optical sorting <laughs> to move the stems out with little puffs of air. To the rolling and kneading machines mm. are amazing. Wow, it sounds like they're robots. <laughs> it is sort of <laughs> like the tea maker has to know how to replace the electric motor and do some hydraulics right. as well as know the humidity of the tea. Oh my god! Whereas in uh, more rural areas in China or in Southeast Asia, a lot of it's all still done by hand, mm. picking stems out, etc. So. Um, one of the steps of making the, the sencha is the steaming it. So mm. as soon as you pick the tea, um, you bring it in from the fields and you steam the leaf. Mm. And the traditional way is what's known as asamushi, mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, here on the table. And the leaves are sort of needle-shaped and a little longer. Mm-hmm. And the asamushi is a shorter mm. uh, steaming process. So it's about a minute, okay. uh, plus or minus. Mm-hmm. And it uh, once the leaf comes out of the steamer, it's very um, uh, easy to roll mm. and um, very limp. It smells like asparagus. Mm. <laughs> it's interesting, exactly. Yeah. It smells like asparagus. And so the other style of tea that's more popular these days is called fukumushi, mm-hmm. and that's a quick, uh, deep steamed. And so they do a steaming for about two minutes. Okay. And as a result, when you look at the leaf, it's much more broken up, mm. the finer particles, right. because that steam really like destroys the leaf in a way, it right. really breaks it up. Mm. So you still have some of the needle shapes, but there are more uh, small particles. Mm. The benefit to making it this way, and I think it's becoming sort of a favored style of tea, is that you can make it in hotter water. Mm. So that's a benefit for me with restaurants that uh, aren't watching out uh, oh. and making sure that the water temperature is low. Right. And for all the green teas, you want a lower water temperature uh, as the leaf is more delicate. Mm. Um, the flavor is going to be much better if right. you do it that way. Okay. So because it's uh, already steamed, it's kind of, it's okay. It's strong enough. Well, yeah, and because it's deep steamed, it's it somehow um, is able to take the hotter water mm. and I've been at a restaurant and I see the pot coming out with the steam coming off it, and I thought, no way, it's not going to be any good. But it, it uh, came out great. Wow. Okay. Great. So uh, you can just go to the store and then you can just see Asamushi. And, uh, yeah, I think most uh, purveyors uh, will now indicate if it's mm-hmm. uh, Asamushi or Fukumushi. Okay. And uh, so these, uh, you said, you mentioned earlier uh, Kyoto Uji. 
is a premium region. Yeah, uh, mm. it's a traditional area for making sencha, mm. um, and it's a big matcha region as well. Mm. Uh, they make a little bit of gyokuro there. Right. Whereas in Shizuoka, it's more sencha. They don't really make much matcha there. Mm. Uh, so different things in different regions than down in the south in mm. Yame, more of a gyokuro region. Uh, it makes sense because Kyoto is a kind of the center of tea ceremony. Yes. And there's a demand also, it's the culture of nobles. Yes. So it makes sense how uh, the industry developed. And it's amazing to visit some of the matcha producers. Mm. Uh, so it's, Uji is just outside Kyoto, maybe mm. a half, half an hour outside. And so to go to some of the, uh, to like our producer and visit the factory is amazing to taste all the different styles of, wow. of matcha side by side. Wow. Um, from someone whose family has been doing it for six generations. Mm. Oh, wow. But it's, it's only closed for, for you, I think, or for industry people, or the general public can do it? No, too? no, no. General public can go. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. There's so you a lot go- of opportunities f- to enjoy tea and tea ceremony in Kyoto. There mm. are uh, you know, a lot of producers around the region, um, a lot of people doing sort of experimental mm. tea ceremony, not the sort of more rigid right. uh, traditional. Mm. So. So you can just Google and look up. Yes. Right. Great. And, uh, you know, the, all those different kinds of tea, do you have any, you know, food pairings? Do you think of that? Um, I do a little bit. I think that, um, you know, some people have a thing where they're trying to cook with every tea or pair with everything. I mean, sencha goes well with light like fish dishes, seafood, mm. things like that um, work really well. Um, then they have some dishes where you pour the tea over the rice. Right. The ochazuke. Ochazuke. Right. Um, delicious. Mm. And yeah, that's the, sort of the ultimate pairing. Because rice itself is really, uh, you know, the subject of perfection in Japan too. So the perfect tea, perfect rice. Perfect rice. Right. Exactly. Mm, that makes me hungry. <laughs> and so, I mean, generally, stronger teas will go with stronger um, mm. dishes. But uh, the sencha, we always thought, paired very well with a, a dark chocolate or something like that mm. as well. So, right. different things. Yeah, I like uh, matcha and chocolate, and sometimes really dark roasted uh, hojicha mm-hmm. with uh, dark mm-hmm. chocolate too. So, all right. And uh, so, to make tea, you know, loose leaf tea, do you have any tips, like temperature to, I don't know, this is so many yeah, tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, one is uh, you start with good tasting water. Mm. So whatever that means for you, using a Brita with New York tap water. Mm. New York tap water is pretty soft, and so it works pretty well with Japanese mm. teas. Uh, softer the better for Japanese tea. Pretty much. Mm. Um, although I do find different waters will work better for different teas. Mm. Um uh, if you use the it fresh out of the tap with a chlorine, mm. you'll definitely note that it takes some of the taste or the flavor away. Mm. Um, so starting with a good tasting water, mm-hmm. bring it to a boil. A little electric kettle is what I'd suggest. And I would just make as much as you're going to drink. So mm. uh, using a small pot. Or the side-handled Kyushu pots. That, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the Kyushu is like uh, every single family has a little pot, like for right. a few cups. And it's and it's easy. You just use that. Um, it has a screen in it because mm-hmm. the Japanese teas are very fine particles. Mm. Um, and so it keeps all the tea in. And Aye. then you, uh, I would say, infuse it for a minute. Mm. But what's the temperature of the water? Uh, 100 and... 
70, 180 degrees, mm-hmm. um, so lower temperature. Nice. If you're making gyokuro, which is the uh, very delicate one, mm-hmm. 120, 25 degrees, so much, much lower. Okay. And it's even fun to, to make that with room temperature water as mm-hmm. well. Right. Well, when I was little, you know, the gyokuro needs only little, like really yes. little, tiny bit. And even like, uh, I would say 20% of other, like hojicha that my, my father likes. And uh, I, I made gyokuro first time, and it exploded, and then it came all out of the pot. So that's one, one thing you have to remember. And it's expensive, so you know right. you don't want to use too much. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and uh, all right. So, the, do you carry uh, utensils, pots, and? Yeah, we we sell some like matcha whisks and bowls and mm-hmm. um, pots and various right. things. Yeah. yeah. So, for basically though, for our listeners, you need a, you know, whatever the cup the size is. It's a. Yeah. So I would encourage people to. Maybe use a smaller size uh, mm-hmm. cup, something that is about the size of the pot that you're brewing from. Mm-hmm. And then you can reinfuse, add some more water after you've finished your cup. Mm-hmm. Um, usually what happens is the Americans make a huge mug of tea, <laughs> and then the phone rings, and then it gets cold, and then they start again. Right. So maybe just try using a smaller Mm. vessel mm-hmm. and making it more often. Right. And also uh, that way you can enjoy the transition, like right, you said. Right, right. Right. All right. Great. Uh, so thank you for joining us today, Sebastian. So I uh, hope uh, you're going to come back. Talk All right. Akiko, it was so much fun to come out. And uh, Roberta's Pizza is right here. So, you know, okay. that's not bad either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, listeners, if you would like to know more about Sebastian's uh, and a great tea, please visit uh, com. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And by the way, we just launched a beautiful new website, so please visit our page. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher podcast. And today's show was made possible by Satori, and our engineer is Malakai Linden. And I will see you next week. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org heritage radio network is a 501c3 non-profit to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening